you know, I did the math and we are 38 hours away from the new year. How is that? And the clock is ticking. But what will it bring? How will it be different? How will it be the same? Personally, your family, our church, our community. For most of us, there will be some challenges and there will be some glad and happy times. Certainly that was our experience uh, this last year, challenges and good times. And uh, probably most of us can point out some wonderful things that occurred and some that were more challenged. Um, two things that we can be certain of, and the one is uncertainties. We can be certain that uh, we simply don't know. There's uncertainty there. And the other is change. The one thing that does not change is the fact of change, because change is a constant. In his uh, book, Living Faith, Jimmy Carter says, the best advice I've ever known came from my former teacher, Miss Julia Coleman, whom I quoted in my presidential inaugural address. And here's the quote. We must adjust to changing times and still hold to unchanging principles. Wow, right on. We must adjust. We have to adjust to changing times and still hold to unchanging principles. And so as we approach the new year, knowing that there are changes, good time to be reminded of and stand firm on these unchanging principles. Now, we're very used to hearing that, you know, the text, principle that's expressed in Galatians uh, 6.10, that uh, what, whatever we sow is also what we'll reap. We reap what we sow. And uh, that's the sequence. Re uh, sowing comes first and then reaping. But you know, what is it that the farmer considers first? What comes first in the farmer's thinking? It's not the sowing but it's the reaping. The, harvest, the farmer looks ahead and says, I think I want to have some wheat in the granary next fall. And so then he goes and seeds wheat. <laughs> kind of a reverse, isn't it? But he decides what he wants to reap, and that according to that, he sows. And as we decide what it is we want to reap, our goal, our target, uh, then we then we adjust, okay? And if we miss on that first question, we might end up with a success that we didn't really want, okay? Uh, and here's a quote. Some people reach the top of the ladder of success only to find it leaning against the wrong wall. <laughs> Speaks, doesn't it? So what is it we want to see as the fruit of our efforts? as individuals, but this morning as we're together, especially in our meeting together as a church. And so today I want to look at what Paul describes as his mission, which is really what he wants to reap 
his mission. And as we study that, I propose that it is transferable to every Christian church. And it applies to every Christian individual. Because the church is what we are in our togetherness. And so we've read that section from Colossians 1, 25 to 29. And in verse 25 here, he describes his commission. He says that I have become, he's talking about the church, verse 24, for the sake of his body, which is the church, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me. And the uh, word there for commission can also be translated stewardship. And that's uh, the way it's translated in the ESV. Uh, he has received this stewardship from God. He has received this responsibility that he is to manage. A steward is not an owner, but he is somebody who manages an estate or a household or a responsibility on behalf of someone else. And so Paul has received that responsibility. It's a stewardship. And what is it here, he says? Well, it's to present the Word of God. Give me present to you. I become its servant, the servant of the church, uh, by the commission God gave me to present to you the Word of God in its fullness. And so it really boils down to communication. And uh, we see that uh, communication is mentioned in different ways in this whole passage. Uh, what I've just mentioned there in verse, uh, verse 25, to present the word of God in its fullness. And then in verse 28, he is the one we proclaim, proclaim. That's communication. Admonishing, teaching everyone with all the wisdom. Communication, in a sense, um, the church's responsibility boils down to communication. Um, because that's what we're about. We have, a, we have a message. But it's not a message only to proclaim. It's a message to be spoken, yes, but also to be lived, to be exemplified, uh, to be reflected in what we do and even in what we don't do and in what we emphasize. Uh, it's truth that we stand for, and it's in fullness here. We're not talking only about a, uh, you know, a formula approach where you make sure that everybody hears the three steps so that they can be saved. No, we're, not talk we're talking much, much bigger and broader than that. Communication from God's Word. Well, that's background. Well, now let's look especially at verse 28 and 29 and uh, see there what Paul has to say to us about the communication that we stand for as a church. I'm going to talk under three headings here. There's the proclamation. And then secondly, there's the purpose of that proclamation. And then there's the practice or the practical dedication that the Apostle Paul has mentioned here. Him we proclaim, that's the proclamation, but then he shows, so that... Certain thing can take place. And then he says in the last section that he is so fully dedicated to this. He works hard to make it happen. But the proclamation, he says, we proclaim him. 
It's first about the person. Paul's mission is all about connecting people to Christ. And so it was with that early message that's recorded in uh, the preaching of Peter and Paul in the book of Acts as they were proclaiming the Christ story to the people who had never heard, to a pagan world. And the focus was on Jesus Christ. And in that typical, and I say typical because you see the same themes and principles expressed in different places where they were speaking uh, into the pagan world. It was about Jesus, about how, who he was. And uh, certainly, if it was a, a Jewish uh, element in the audience, they would stress that he is the Messiah, uh, that he's the Son of God, but that he was crucified, and that he rose again, and that he is uh, exalted to the right hand of God. And because of that, uh, there is a call, the claim for allegiance to him, because he's the, he's the king, king of the kingdom. And so as they were doing this, they, they, this was the kind of message that they would, they would use, and that would be part of what the Great Commission was about, where Jesus said to his apostles after he rose and before he ascended that they are to make disciples of all nations. Well, giving him allegiance. To me, that's the bottom line. You know, we may struggle. Who can we consider a genuine? We don't need to ask a question, but we sort of do in our mind. Who, who, who can we consider a genuine Christian? Because there's so many different ways of expressing your faith. We have the luxury of choosing in our North American context. But to me, the bottom line is allegiance to the exalted Lord. Are they under the Lordship of Christ? And the other details are very important, and we're prepared to, you know, to stand firm on them. But the highest is really the Lordship of Christ. It was required then that they submit to King Jesus, the Lord of the kingdom of heaven. And it's what's required now. It's one of those unchanging principles that Jimmy Carter quoted on earlier. We proclaim him. It's that ongoing, unchanging message of the church. But notice the various modes of communication. He says we proclaim him, and then he goes on to say admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Admonishing. The word has to do with appealing to the will and the emotions. And it connotes a warning, and perhaps he was especially uh, using that warning to approach people who weren't Christians yet. But there would obviously be a lot of admonition taking place among believers, for sure. And, uh, and then he says teaching, stressing the importance of instruction in God's Word. And again, I refer to what uh, Jesus commanded his apostles, teaching them Matthew 20, uh, 28, uh, teaching them to observe all that I have taught you. Uh, you know, they're to be obedient people who are guided by the larger scope of the scriptures. And it's about all of life. The teaching from our Lord and what he called his apostles to take care of would relate to every part of life. 
Remember in one church that I served, there was a, a, another who once in a while also spoke. And um, he was very careful to preach e evangelistically, it seems, every Sunday. And one of the elders in the church just simply said to me, you know what, we also need to learn about life. We also need to learn how to live. It's not enough to just hear the gospel presented Sunday after Sunday. Scriptures, they cover it all so that we know not only how to be saved, but also how to live. He says, to everyone, with all wisdom, those who aren't believers yet, those who have recently begun the journey, and those who are already reasonably mature. Everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, because we all need instruction. And you know, in so many cases, the needs of people are really the same. Um, in many cases, I didn't say in all cases. But you know, we all need to hear again and again that we are loved and that we need to love. We need to feel that we belong and, and words of affirmation to one another. It, I don't know about you, but it sure goes a long ways with me. And uh, so many of these things are really the same for all people to hear in different ways, expressed in different ways, that you really matter. But then, of course, there are things that you pick up that you especially need and things somebody else picks up that they really need. But a full-orbed, wide spectrum of communication is needed, for we all need direction in how to live. Now, when we look at this whole communication process described here, you know, the proclaiming, the admonishing, the teaching. There may be a few individuals who can do all of that. But uh, even Paul here is talking about team, I guess, because he says, we proclaim, <laughs> we do this. And so I, I apply that to us as a, as a church. In our togetherness, we're able to make all of that happen. The whole communication process, proclaiming, admonishing, teaching, team effort, and something going on in the church as each of us participates, then we can have these things happening through the Sunday school and through the morning worship service and through the sermon and through the fellowship time and through Bible study groups during the week and so on, all of these things happening, then we're going to have all of this. We're going to have the proclamation. We're going to have the admonishing. We're going to have the encouraging, which doesn't happen to be here, but many other places, as well as the teaching and the direction. As we all participate, that can be happening. Proclamation of Christ that includes admonishing, teaching. But then I come to the second point here, and I say, note, it wasn't communication for the sake of communication, but rather, Paul is saying here, we proclaim him, and we admonish, and we teach with a desired outcome, a purpose, an intended outcome, a specific goal in view, and the purpose, he says, so that so that we may present everyone
fully mature in Christ. Now, if you are using the previous NIV version, then maybe it says perfect here, you know. Present everyone perfect in Christ. But the idea uh, of that word isn't flawless, you know, that you can't make any mistakes anymore. But, but the idea is completion, to make complete, bringing up to maturity and faith and character. I want to be able to present, when, when Christ comes back and we all stand before him, I want to be able to present everyone that I've been communicating to as mature, complete in Christ. The word suggests attainment of the proper end purpose the proper end purpose of one's existence. And he says, everyone. This was his aim in view, the aim in view for everyone he ministered to, not only for those who were leaders, and that would be so important. Uh, Because as the leaders go, so often that's the way the church goes. But it wasn't only for leaders, not just for elders or pastors or deacons, not just for those who have the privilege of a college degree from Bible college, not just those who became Christians early in life, and certainly not only those who are beginning the Christian life, but he purposed that all to whom he ministered would come to maturity in Christ. Because we're not only saved for heaven, but we're also shaped for earth. Not just saved to go to heaven, but shaped so that we can live and be light and salt on this earth. You know, I think of our experiences as uh, parents, Christian parents. You know, what we do in bringing up our children is with an end in view. We're not, there may be moments when, (laughs) there may be moments when we were saying, just get me through today, you know, I just need to survive right now and I want them to survive right now. But overall, we brought them up with an end in view. We wanted, uh, we were looking at a harvest. We wanted them to become mature men and women who followed the Lord, but who followed him in their own way so that their own personalities were being expressed and so on. And many different things, but we were looking beyond the immediate And I think that makes a difference, even in what you do at the beginning. And it's the way it is, too, with the way you bring up people in the faith. You're not just thinking of getting them in. But even in the way that you get them in, you have in view that the call isn't to save souls. Primarily, it's to make disciples, you see. And somewhere I read that there are stats that show that when the approach in evangelism is about making disciples as opposed to saving souls or just having converts, the ones that were evangelized with that in view that they are to be disciples, they're more apt to stick it out. And that makes sense. And so what I'm saying is the way that you do it from the very get-go, front end, has to do with what you want the end result to look like. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying that it's his view. He is doing all of this. The purpose of the communication is so that he can present every person mature in Christ. The front-end view already, uh, it's, it's up front. 
it all are already about what's coming later. And again, as I said before, it fits with what Jesus says, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. Now, I think it's significant here. He says, teaching with all wisdom. Teaching them with all wisdom. That is, we, he uses the we there, that would indicate that they used good judgment in their teaching, not just giving them the objective facts. You know, I tell them as it is, take it or leave it. I've done my duty. No. But wisdom would mean looking for what's relevant, looking for what is truly helpful, and this in a caring way, out of love. We often refer to that uh, clause in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, speaking the truth in love. But then I looked it up uh, yesterday as I was preparing that and realized, wow, it's even more relevant than I thought. Speaking the truth in love, it says, we will grow. <laughs> Isn't that something? Speaking the truth in love, we will grow. To become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And so even as we teach men and women and receive teaching of others, it's in the context of caring. It's a context of wisdom. And you're, see, you're concerned about the outcome. Then that means you're not just concerned about getting the message out there, but you want to get it out in a way that's effective because your goal is to present every person uh, mature in Christ. Well, what does maturity in Christ look like? And uh, I guess in a summary we could say that, well, Christians are disciples of Christ. That means that he is our Lord, he's our teacher and our example. And that would mean that maturity would look like Jesus, Christ-likeness. And there are many places in the New Testament where Jesus is presented as the prototype. And I'll give you some examples. Serving unselfishly. John 13. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I'm your example. What had he just done? He had washed the feet of his disciples. And then also in that same chapter, Jesus says, love one another. How? As I have loved you. As I have loved you. Like him in humility. Philippians 2, verse 5. Your attitude or your mindset should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Humility. And uh, like Jesus in response to the enemies, Peter, who had pulled the sword on those who came to rest Jesus in the garden years later, would write, To this end you were called for because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. And then he goes on and he describes how Jesus handled that kind of suffering. It says, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. He is our ultimate standard and example. We who are his followers, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, are his presence in our respective worlds. I want to say that the examples where it says that, you know, I am your example and do as Jesus did, 
those are those are there's so many other places where it doesn't even say it but we see him modeled we see how he took quiet time for example we see his attitude and we see his compassion there's so many things that go beyond not just the verses that specifically say that he is our example but our goal would be that the people that have been influenced by our church would go into their homes and the hospital you know in the hospitals and the universities and in government and schools and business and wherever they give their time during the week go there as people who are like Jesus Christ with touring in him and so the goal of the communication is really transformation. And Paul's mission and our mandate today is not to simply prepare people for heaven, but to see them transformed so like Christ they can be a people of influence, living like him on this earth. The goal is transformation, influ influencing people to become followers of Christ, who will live in the kingdom of this world in accordance with the standards of the kingdom of heaven, the realm over which Jesus is king. So we look to him as our models. Well, proclamation, communication, but it's for the purpose of presenting everyone mature in Christ. And uh, that would be one of the unchanging principles. But then I move on to the last one. And I'm saying with such a purpose, with such a mission, with such a stewardship that the apostle has, little wonder that he gave himself so fully to it. And so that's the third point here, the practical dedication. He says in verse 29, to this end I strenuously... I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. If you're using the previous NIV, there are two words here. The word labor, which means wearisome toil. And then there's the word struggling. That's a word that comes from the athletic arena, meaning intense exertion. Well, the new NIV has sort of put them together. And it just says, to this end I strenuously contend. With all the energy that the Lord supplies, he gave it his best shot. And he shows here that God is enabling him. He's giving him the energy he needs to, you know, to, to do it, to continue doing it. And it would be like that for you and I too. I'm thinking of the workers over there. Our Lord is enabling them. And I'm sure that they feel sometimes that it's strenuous toil work and so the call is a priority in every church the kind of nurture that influences each person to move towards maturity but it's hard work hard dedicated work on Paul's part and so it is with us today and what is responsibility and I appreciate we're a small church and so there are many of you here who are given a lot of time you're doing a lot of work to make the church work. And that's part of the reason. In fact, it, wouldn't, it really wouldn't happen without that. The reason that we've been able to come through 2018 
and we need the same in 2019. Well, as I move to a conclusion, I want to simply address the question, how important is all of this? You know, um, what's at stake here in this whole scenario? The communication, the proclamation, teaching for the purpose of people maturing in Christ and the work that entails. How, how important is it and why is it important? And I want to I say, A, it matters to you and I as individuals. It matters in order that we can become what we're meant to be. And I want to ask you here as a, as a challenging way, are you on that journey? Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you expectant? Are you desirous? Are you participating in hearing God's word and exercising your responsibility in serving? All of that important part of growing, maybe in some cases beginning the journey. Maybe there's a next step that the Lord wants you to take. Maybe baptism, membership, whatever, but moving forward matters to us personally. Now, Paul's view here is, as I said at the end, presenting every person at the time of when Christ comes back, at the time of judgment and whatever all of that means. At that point, I want to, I want to present everyone that I've worked with as mature, complete in Christ. But because it is the end in view, it really means that there's a process here that continues till the very end. Uh, none of us know it all. None of us are as complete as, uh, uh, as we need to be. A pastor friend of mine many years ago said that he said to his son during the time when, you know, his son seemed to know it all, and he says, you know, uh, from now on, you can only go one way. <laughs> you, you can't go, you, you, you can only go down because now you know it all, so... <laughs> There isn't going to be any more progress. But it's intended that the rest of our life, there will be that ongoing process. One day, Ruth Graham was riding in a car when they came upon a certain road sign, and she exclaimed, I want that message on my tombstone. Well, she died in 20, uh, 2007, and it's reported that her wish was honored and here's the message that they took from the road sign and put on her tombstone, end of construction. Thank you for your patience. Construction continued until it was time for a tombstone. Now, we know, if we know anything at all from our reading and so on about Ruth Graham, uh, you know, we, there's no doubt that here was a mature person, a mature Christian that had wonderful influence but there was still that sense that I'm not finished till the Lord takes me construction end of construction and uh, well how about us do we have the humility to come under the teaching week by week with that assumption this is also about me it's not what the others are getting out of this but it's also about me <laughs> because I need to grow some more I need a little more construction yet before I come before the Lord. 
And so that's the first thing. Does it matter? Yes, it matters to us as individuals in our growth. But B, it matters because of the credibility of Christians. Are we for real or not? How will people decide? Is Christianity real? How will people decide partly on the basis of whether or not followers of Jesus resemble in any way the Christ that they name and claim to follow? Credibility. A few years ago, Christian Day had an article entitled, Why Muslims Follow Jesus. An extensive study of this was done by Fuller Seminary. They had uh, interviewed 750 Muslims representing every major region of the Muslim world. These were those who had decided to follow Jesus, and they filled out extensive questionnaires on the basic question, what attracts Muslims to follow Jesus? This is what it says. Respondents rank the lifestyle of Christians as the most important influence in their decision to follow Jesus. Yeah, that was done in, well, it was published in uh, CT in uh, October of 07, 11 years ago. I don't suppose it has changed much. And that whether it's spelled out or not, the credibility factor is there. There's a lot at stake for us to be part of this process so that we can become increasingly mature in Christ. Well, the C factor, God's reputation. Matthew 5:16, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and then what? And praise your Father which is in heaven. God has taken the risk of allowing what we have become and how we live and serve to influence his reputation. Somehow the way we are and the way we live translate, translates into what people think of him. And so there's no substitute for this goal. Purpose must be to bring people to maturity. I think you can see at this point that the issue isn't so much whether you're a small church or a larger church or somewhere in between, because we're talking here this morning about principles that are unchanging, that somehow we participate in a way that helps people to follow Christ and to become like him. A very prominent theologian in the U.S. was asked for his perspective on new church movements, and especially the emergent church movements, and his answer was, the future of the church is not found in things like this. The future is doing the same thing Sunday after Sunday. I like that. It's not about, there's always some new thing coming down the pike, and we may learn from that. Good information to have. But you know, there's no substitute for the things that Paul is talking about here, the teaching Sunday after Sunday and the context of love and fellowship and so on and so forth. And uh, children being unconsciously molded into what it means to be a Christ follower. And same with us. 
Most of the time, it's not even measurable. Most of the time, we're not going to say, you know, I grew a quarter inch last week. No, but it's the sun. It's the ongoing thing, week after week, that in the process then, becoming increasingly mature. And so there's really no shortcut to what Paul is saying here, the teaching, careful, intentional teaching of the word. And the key for the church and the key for you and I as individuals, faithful persistence, carrying on in these kinds of things. And there will be ups and downs. One of the old books written by Swindoll was, what was it, two steps forward, one step backward. It's inevitable. It's not going to be steady progress. There's up and down. But the important thing is continuing. Um, our, uh, we just... We just got the uh, letter from our, our youngest family, the Christmas letter that they sent out, and so we, of course, had a copy, and it was written by our daughter-in-law, Melanie. And she describes what the family's been doing all year and so on, but she quoted from, uh, well, a quote that has been attributed to Winston Churchill, and this is the quote. Success is not final, so don't rest on your laurels. Success is not final, Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. I think that's a good word to go into the new year. There's going to be ups, there's going to be downs, but our success, eh, wonderful, thank the Lord, but don't take it too seriously because success is not final. There's going to be mistakes, but failure is not fatal. But get up again. Keep on walking. Be persistent. So that ultimately you will be presented as mature in the presence of Jesus Christ. Well, let's pray, and then we're going to sing a song about wanting to grow. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have one another, that we benefit by the gifts of one another, so that we have the opportunity to progress as Christians. And we pray that as we go into new year, we will want to continue to do that, and perhaps a little more than the previous year. Be committed to follow you better. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.